Knowledge Products presents Science and Discovery on Science in Antiquity. 5,000 years ago, in about 3,000 B.C., every civilization from China to Africa was obsessed with observing and measuring the movement of the stars. Each imagined ultimate causes for powerful forces they couldn't observe, forces that had set the universe in motion and which now kept the stars to their patterns. These extraordinarily powerful expressions of reality, known as foundation cosmologies, set the ground rules for dealing with the universe over the next 2,500 years and more. Doctors, farmers, builders, and kings worked for success in life based on this understanding of the world. Each cosmology developed a particular metaphor that reflected a society's geographic setting and historical experience. Of all these cosmologies, the main ancestor of Western science and culture is the cosmology of ancient Sumer, the area later known variously as Mesopotamia, Babylonia, and more recently, Iraq. Sumerian civilization had emerged around 10,000 B.C. in a fertile river valley carved by the slow, meandering flow of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. The rivers emptied directly into the Indian Ocean. There was no Persian Gulf. Oceans were much lower then, locked up in the glaciers of the last ice age. But around 8,000 B.C., the Earth's climate shifted, releasing vast reserves of frozen water and lifting the ocean levels. Over the next 3,000 years, the oceans inundated the Tigris-Euphrates Basin. The flood reached nearly as far north as the present Iraqi city of Basra then settled back to the present coastline of what we call the Persian Gulf. Around 1750 B.C., someone in the palace library of Hammurabi shelved an old cracked cuneiform clay text called The Story of Gilgamesh. This work was written as early as 3000 B.C., and it, together with another classic, When on High, gives us our key to Sumerian reality. In Gilgamesh, the Sumerian god Ea had instructed a man named Utnapishtim to preserve lives from the coming flood. The city Shurupak, which lies on the Euphrates. The great gods planned to bring a cyclone over it. O man of Shurupak, break up the house, build a ship, abandon your property, seek Life. Throw aside your possessions and preserve life. Bring into the ship the seed of all living things. In response to Ea, Utnapishtim describes his own actions in an account that's very similar to the later story of Noah and the God of the Hebrews. All that I had of silver I loaded on her. All that I had of gold I loaded on her. All that I had of living beings of all kinds I loaded. I brought to the ship all my family and household, cattle of the field, beasts, all the workmen I brought on board. Six days and nights the cyclone, the hurricane, swept over the land. When the seventh day approached, the sea grew quiet. The storm abated, and all mankind had turned to clay. At Mount Nisir, the ship stood still. After six days I sent forth a dove. It came back, 
The people who lived through this vast flooding at Ebbing were gatherers, hunters, and fishermen. More and more they became village farmers and herdsmen on the emerging silty plains of lower Iraq. Around 4000 BC to 3000 BC, the Bronze Age began, and urbanized peoples learned to make tools and artifacts with a mixture of copper and tin. As villages grew into cities, scholars began looking for tools of thought to improve things. They built up a reality in which the main elements of change are gods, humans, and stars. Using water as a dominant theme, they wrote a history of the universe that explains how and why the gods, humans, and stars had brought about events on Earth. These scholars hoped that observation and increasingly refined theories could help them anticipate and better control things. It's hard to classify these scholars. Gods were part of their universe, but they were more than priests. They used careful observation, measurements, and trigonometry to calculate celestial movements. Were they scientists then? The scholars themselves made no distinction between religion and science. Sumerians believe that there is earth, there is the huge sky world above, and in between is air. The earth sits upon a vast primordial sea of sweet water. Here the humans and other creatures live, and gods live in the sky world. Sumerians believe that raw matter had always existed, and that creation had been a process of differentiating this raw matter into specific things, and then naming them. Here's how When on High describes it. When on high the heaven had not been named, firm ground below had not been called by name, naught but primordial Apsu, their begetter, and mother Tiamat, she who bore them all, their waters commingling as a single body. No reed hut had been matted, no marshland appeared when no gods whatever had been brought into being, uncalled by name, their destinies undetermined. Then it was that the gods were formed within them. Creation unleashed forces portrayed here as quarreling children who drove their parents, Apsu and Tiamat, to distraction with their noise. While Tiamat wrung her hands, Apsu lost his patience and planned sterner measures. By day I find no relief nor repose at night. I will destroy, I will wreck their ways that quiet might be restored. Let us have some rest. One of the sons learned of his father's plan to destroy the family and attacked and killed Apsu instead. This started a family war in heaven. A grandson, Marduk, finally killed the grandmother Tiamat with weapons that included floods, poisonous plants, and the more prosaic bow, mace, and sword. From Tiamat's body, Marduk constructed the observable sky, decorating it in careful astronomical detail with planets and stars. These were residences for gods and goddesses, and when on high describes these residences with terms that today we call the Zodiac. He constructed stations for the great gods, fixing their astral likenesses as constellations. He determined the year by designating the zones, 
he set up three constellations for each of the twelve months. After defining the days of the year with heavenly figures, he founded the station of Saturn to determine their heavenly bands, that none might transgress or fall short. Carefully read and analyzed, this long explanation of the sky confirms that the profession of astronomy was well established in the cities of Sumer and Babylon. Astronomers marked the spring and fall equinoxes as the times for planting and harvest. They divided the sky into twelve equal sections, each associated with a particular group of stars and named for the animal that the stars seemed to outline. There were a dragon and a serpent, a goat and bull, and eight others. This twelve-part system and its names were adopted by the Greeks sometime between 700 and 500 B.C., and in medieval Europe, the system came to be known there by its Greek name Zodia, meaning the little animals. Sumerian astronomers also worked out the pattern of lunar movements defining each of twelve months, and they set up the system of seven-day units to define each week. When on high describes how the moon itself was established. In Tiamat's belly, the sky, he established the zenith. The moon he caused to shine, entrusting it with the night, appointing it to signify the days. Monthly without cease, form designs, he said, with a crown. At the month's very start, rising over the land...